Hi, this is Rod Roark. Welcome back to Roark Knows Podcast, helping you become a better you. So we always talk about plastic surgery and rhinoplasty, but what is what about revision rhinoplasty, and how does that differ from a primary rhinoplasty? So today I'm going to talk to one of the world experts on revision rhinoplasty, Dr. Dean Toriyumi from Chicago, and we're going to talk about how rhinoplasty is so complicated and how revision rhinoplasty is so different than primary rhinoplasty. Dean, welcome. How are you? Hey, Rod. Pleasure to be here. Great. So, you know, Dr. Toriyumi and I, we lecture a lot around the world, and uh, he truly is one of the true experts in, in rhinoplasty, and, and especially in revision rhinoplasty. And there's only a few uh, true revision rhinoplasty experts in, in the U.S., and there's only a few around the world. And so we're going we're gonna to take a deep dive, in, and this is going to help you become more informed and more educated because I see so many patients like you do, Dean, every week that had a rhinoplasty and they say, you know, I just wish I had done my homework. I find that the revision rhinoplasty patients have really done their homework, but they probably should have done their homework before they had the first rhinoplasty. So, so what, what is a revision rhinoplasty, Dean? Revision rhinoplasty is a rhinoplastic procedure that's performed on someone who underwent a prior surgery, a prior rhinoplasty. And so basically we're repairing maybe something that didn't go well in the first operation. Right. So how do you, so when you have a patient call you, what is the earliest time that you would consider doing a revision rhinoplasty or a redo nose job? Well, that that's kind of a, it's an interesting question because people say you have to wait a year. Right. In my opinion, it depends on what the problem is. Okay, if someone had a rhinoplasty and they have a small irregularity on the bridge of their nose that maybe needs a little rasp, likely over time that's not going to go away. Right. So I don't want to have to have the patient sit there for a whole year with that irregularity. What we can do is in a small incision, you could even do something under local anesthetic, a little narrow rasp that we have available to us now and you can just file it down and you could do that as early as three months i think uh, yep. now if you have a tip problem in that situation i think you need to wait at least nine to 12 months i think you need to let the tissues settle down kind of normalize the vascular supply get rid of all the edema and have everything stabilized and at that point i think you can go yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and uh, and every patient's different. Sometimes if they have thick skin or a lot of scar tissue, you have to wait till it softens. So, so, what do you think is the most common cause for patients having or wanting to have a revision rhinoplasty? You know, I'd say over the last two years, it's clearly nasal obstruction. I mean, I am shocked at how many people now we give them a survey and we ask them you know to rate what your what your complaint is whether it's more aesthetic or more functional and i'd say greater than 50 percent of the patients now have 50 percent of aesthetic 50 percent functional or the majority functional and if you look in their noses you can see why they're having a problem because the lateral wall of the nose is collapsing in and they can't breathe and you you do a little 
um, you know, maneuver where you lateralize the lateral wall of the nose and suddenly they breathe well. They go, oh my God, if you can do that for me, I'd be very happy. And so unfortunately, the aesthetic stuff is still there, but the incidence, I think, of functional problems is increasing. Which is very unfortunate because to, to, to us, that's, that's a, you have to do both. You can't just fix the nose looking. you got to make it function well. So why do you think there's been a dramatic increase in that? I've seen that as well. Probably not as high as that, but it's certainly a lot higher than it used to be. What, what, do, you, what, what do you think's changed? What do, are we teaching things different today that people are not learning? Well, I think part of it is because in these chat rooms and things, they talk about if you have a breathing problem, you want to fix, go to Chicago. So I, I think that has something to do with it. But I do believe that if you look at some of the techniques out there now, they're not really focusing on stabilizing the valve as much. I mean, there people are using fewer spreader grafts. They're using, you know, spreader flaps. They're doing things that aren't necessarily supporting the lateral wall. You know, if you use a rim graft, it supports the external valve, but right. it doesn't support the internal valve. That's why my preference is to use lateral curl strut grafts that Dr. Gunter gave to us. Mm -hmm. And lateral curl strut grafts go right over the internal valve. And that's why I think they have more utility, at least in my patient population, for correcting and stabilizing nasal function. You know, I use it in primaries. I use lateral curl strut grafts in probably 80% of my primaries. And, you know, people say to me, well, why do you do that? I don't think that's necessary. The reason why I do it is because I give a nose questionnaire and a schnoz questionnaire to all my patients. And I found over the last 15 years that if I support that area with a lateral curl strut graft, they breathe better over the long term. And I'm not talking six months or a year. I'm talking about three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I I don't use lateral curl strut grafts, obviously, nearly as, as often as you do. And uh and, you know, obviously it depends on the patient and the nose, but I, I agree. I mean, you, you need to pay attention to the internal and external nasal valve. And I think uh, sometimes people are not taught to do that, and, uh, and, and it becomes a problem long-term. And, you know, we see those things long-term, and, you know, we follow our patients, and we go, wow, that really didn't work well five years ago. So, so when do you... What do you tell your patients about when they'll see the final result from a primary rhinoplasty? What, like, if it's your patient, you say, okay, when is it, when is it done? Because they come in, like I saw a patient today, she's nine months out, and her tip is still, still hard. I mean, she looks good, but she said, when is it going to finally soften? I really, you know, tell patients, your nose will heal over the rest of your life. I tell them your nose will be 30% healed a year, you know, maybe 45 after two years. And then they ask me, well, when's it done? I go, if you come back to me in 25 years and I see you at 20 years, your nose will be different in those five years. So it doesn't stop changing. Now, maybe we don't call that healing. Maybe we call it um, just changes over time. They're not necessarily a complication, but things tend to move medially, the skin will contract a little bit, you'll get a little more definition. So, you know, when patient when that patient comes to you, Rod, at nine months and says, well, things still don't look quite right here, I would tell that patient, you're not done healing. Well, you're only probably about 25% healed and you're gonna continue to improve over time. And when I look at sequential photographs, I see my patients long-term all the time, Same you way. know, one year, five year, 15, 
20, 25 years. And when you look at what happens, the nose tends to become more defined. Now, the other thing that happens is the lateral wall comes in if it's not well supported. And that right. is one of the reasons why I did you know, transition over to using lateral strut grafts very frequently because I now I don't see as much of that mesialization. But I do see improved definition. You know, and somewhere on the internet, it's out there that your nose is done healing at a year. And I totally disagree with that. I think there's a lot that happens after a year. I, I and totally, that's really important to keep in mind. I totally agree. But, you know, you and I are a total minority on that because I tell them, you know, in a primary 15, 12, 15 months, sometimes longer, depending, especially if they have thick skin. But you're right. They say, well, it should be done in a year. Well, that's not true. And for a revision, it takes double that time, at least. Right. So, I mean, but I can tell you that's, of course, you know, Dr. Google's not a doctor and they're always wrong, but, you know, I hear that all the time as well. So it's kind of like you're holding their hand and saying, hey, you're not even 50% there. So, but, um, so, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. And I think that's good for the viewers to hear too, because, you know, it's really, really, it, you know, the, the nose takes probably the longest of any organ to rebuild and restore and, and just get the final shape and contour. And, and you're right, I, I see my patients long-term too, and it's a while when they come back at five and 10 years, and not only do they droop, but they can have other issues too, like you said, with functional problems. So, uh, so you know, the other thing, Ron, the other thing is, patient will come in for revision surgery, and they'll say, well, how long is it gonna take for my nose to heal? And I tell them, you know, 30% a year, 45% of two years, you go, no, it really didn't take that long. It shouldn't take that long. I go, well, think about the nose job that you had before you came to me. Think about what your nose looked like at six months. Think about what it looked like at two years. Right. And tell me what it looks like now at five years. Didn't it change? And it, did it change over the last six months? Invariably, they say, yes, it got worse. <laughs> so then I tell them, well, that's the healing process. And that's why I'm telling you, your nose will not stop healing it will continue to heal over your lifetime. Yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree. And and yet, it takes so long for patients, even if they had a rhinoplasty, to understand that because they think it's like magic, you know, that it's going to happen again. So, and especially with revision rhinoplasty. So, so let's talk about. Okay. So, how do you prevent this problem from happening? How how do you find? Tell us how you find a real, true rhinoplasty expert. To, and, and obviously, nobody's perfect, but if you find somebody that does rhinoplasty a lot and is good at it, uh, how do you find that person? You know, that's, that's a real tough, tough question because, you know, I think a lot of patients, the first thing they do is they go to social media. Right. So I think social media is good in a lot of ways because, like, for instance, on my Instagram, I show patient photos. So patients then come in and they go, I like this nose you did. I like this nose. I like your general aesthetics. So they understand what my aesthetic sense is. And so they, if they like it, they come. If they don't, they don't come. Part of the problem is, is a lot of the information they glean on social media a lot of the information is, in my opinion, not correct. And so that's why you have to really be careful and talk to the experts and ask them, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Because there is a lot of misinformation, like you know, when the nose is done healing, that's a perfect example. But the nose is not done healing in a year. But when you wanna pick a surgeon, I think experience is the bottom line, okay? 
particularly with revision rhinoplasty. Revision right. rhinoplasty is exponentially more complex than a primary. Primary, you go in there and you pretty much know what you're gonna do. You know what the anatomy is. With revision, you, and, you know, know, it's like a Cracker Jack box. You don't know what your prize is gonna be. I mean, I open the nose and I don't even bother thinking about it because I know it's not gonna be probably exactly what I think. So I psychologically, mentally have to be completely prepared for any deformity because once that nose is open i have to fix it and so that's why if you've seen hundreds of different combinations of deformities and you treated them over 34 years then you have a lot of experience and then you also follow your patients long term so we know what the outcomes are with the different techniques so it's a combination of careful diagnosis pre-op Intra-op is even more important, identifying the deformity and then having effective techniques to correct it. And then you have to execute. You have to execute right. very precisely to give the patient the best outcome. I agree. It's the three E's. Experience, like you said, expertise. You have to be able to deliver a product. And then, you know, uh, you know your performance, you know, give excellent results and be consistent and show them long-term. And, and you're right. You know, social media can be very deceiving because... The, the person that has all the flashing and the dancing and all the stuff and showing all this stuff, intra-op and all stuff, I mean, that isn't as meaningful as showing, I mean, I like to show early, middle, and late-term results. I show, I show videos of patients early, and I show them late, and then I show photos too. And I think people will get a sense of, do they like your aesthetic, like you said. And, you know, you show primarily, you know, really longer-term photos of your patients, and, and I think people appreciate that because they can relate to that. And so social media is a very powerful tool today, but I think it's abused many times and, and the public doesn't understand that. So I think that's a, that's a good, well, good question. I think, I think one thing that the public doesn't understand is that you and I are human, Rod, right? And sometimes our results don't turn out great, of but course. our vast majority do. So what's interesting is like, you know, you go to one of these rating sites and I'll have 10 fives yep. and then I'll have one, one, one unhappy patient. Okay. And that patient will have this terrible, whatever oh, yeah. about their experience. And they all focus on that one. They don't focus on all the, the, the really good well, ones, we... but they focus on that one. I know. And it's really unfortunate because I'll admit sometimes I'll do a case and it doesn't work out, but I always want to bring the patient back. Same here. Fix it. Okay. I, I want them to come back, but if they don't come back, my hands are tied. I can't correct the error I, I made or the, the yeah. suboptimal outcome that was created. But if the vast majority of my patients and your patients are happy, then chances are if that person who's looking on the internet for a surgeon comes to you or me, then they're probably going to be one of those happy patients. Yep. I mean, you got to go with the odds. Uh, but, you know, we're going to we're going to have an occasional situation where it doesn't work out. Yeah, and I agree. And you bring that up. We all have them. In fact, if you see somebody's reviews, whether everything's a five or whatever, you know, they're not truly they haven't done enough. They haven't had enough experience. Believe me, we all live in glass houses. and. And you're right, and we want these patients to come back, but some of them, they just would rather talk about it than come back to you, and that's 
really, that's just part of how it works. And uh, it's very frustrating to me and you. I mean, uh, you know, we see that too. And, uh, but I think that's a sign of, of, a, of a good surgeon. And I think people need to know that. So when you're looking at reviews, it's a cumulative effect. Look at it all. Because if everybody has a five, to me, that's a red flag. Because uh, sometimes they're, you know, manufactured well, reviews. And that's- the other thing, the other thing, Rod, is, you know, we get really bad cases. I mean, you get yes. cases where the noses are terrible. I have some slides that we can show yep. of patients, like one patient who had a necrosed cayumella from right. uh, a combination lip lift with uh, open rhinoplasty. And I did, you know, more than four operations on that patient with a nasal labial flap to correct it. But it took, you know, five operations or six operations to fix her. Right. Now, it's not something you can do in one surgery. So the patient fortunately stays with me. She's very, very, uh, has tremendous confidence in me and now she's very happy and she's doing great. Yep. If a patient starts the process but doesn't finish with me, then I can't get her to where she needs to be. And so that's where, you know, I think when you work with a surgeon and the surgeon is willing to work on you to get you to where you need to be, the best thing to do is to stay with that person and let them fulfill, you know, their goal, uh, their pact with you to get you where you need to be aesthetically and functionally. Yep, and that's very wise words because, you know, you and I have done thousands of rhinoplasties. I've never done a perfect one, but the key is we strive for excellence in everything we do. It's the wound healing process that really gets in the way. But, but you know, we want our patients to have a good result, and I think. I think I think that's the difference also and and we work every day to be better. So what what are your take home points for our viewers now? I think you you hit the nail on the head on so many things about revision rhinoplasty and how you can find a a board certified rhinoplasty surgeon, uh, you know, he's a he or she is a facial plastic surgeon or a plastic surgeon that has expertise in this area. And I can't overemphasize that. You've got to have expertise, especially in revision rhinoplasty. You just can't say, okay, I do 10 rhinoplasties a year. I mean, my goodness, these are such complicated procedures. You have to have somebody that does it every day, thinks about it every day. So, so what are your take-home points for the consumer about revision rhinoplasty? Let's just say they're looking to have a redo rhinoplasty. Obviously, look at, look at uh, the social media, but just take it with a grain of salt. And of course, look at look at those consumer ratings, which of course are very objective. But look at all the positive stuff. I, I agree with that. So, what else, Dean, do you think are important for them to look at? You know, I think it's helpful to look at whether or not your surgeon or your potential surgeon is an educator. I, I really believe that when when we go to a meeting and we're invited to a meeting, we're there for a reason. It's because our peers see us as an expert. Right. And we're going to teach the other doctors how to do our operation in when it comes to rhinoplasty. That that is a lot. That says a lot about someone's capabilities. I mean, if you're teaching the other people and your peers in a specialty on how to do the operation. That should that should go uh, a long way, in my opinion, because I have tremendous respect for a lot of the people that I listen to at these meetings. I learn a great deal from them, and I have tremendous respect for them because I see their results. I know how good they are, 
and I knew that I know that their techniques are solid, and so I want to emulate them in many ways. And so, if someone is an educator, I give them a hat, uh, you know, a tip to their hat because they work hard to teach other people. They refine their techniques, um, and they've gained respect to their peers. There's no better way, in my opinion, to right. know who's an expert based on how their peers look at them. Yep, I agree. And I, I will tell you, that's one of the secrets of medicine, because good doctors know good doctors. And when you're on the faculty at a meeting, you're pre-selected by your peers. So there's no better and more rigid group of people that uh, that will judge you, right, Dean, than your own peers. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. You, think, you think social media is bad. Your peers are the toughest. No, they are. And, and No, you're right. And, and, and that's, right. that's the way it should be. Yeah, no, I agree. So, so the smart patients know that. They'll come in and say, hey, I've read your articles. I see what you've done. And I think that's good. And, and you're right. Nobody's perfect. But that's some wise words. And I think those are some of the wisest words, actually, from this, this podcast. So know before you go, you know, when you're looking for a revision rhinoplasty, you need to have a top-level revision rhinoplasty expert like Dean Toriyumi and, you know, people like that. I mean, there's only a few of us, unfortunately, in the United States that actually do this operation. And in fact, you and I get referrals all the time from excellent other rhinoplasty surgeons, and that's fine because, you know, to me, that says, listen, I do a good rhinoplasty, but I don't do a good revision. And that's fine, too, because I respect those people, don't you? If they've done that. Absolutely. Prim- I actually- Absolutely. There's, a, there's a huge difference between being real good at primary than being real good oh, at revision. A hundred percent. And we all you know, know many, many times the people who are really good at primary, they'll say, as they develop, they'll get better at secondary. But it takes time. That's where the experience factor comes in. Right. And uh, and I agree. And and I get a lot of those patients like you do, Gene and I, uh, uh, Dean, and I, I'll tell you. I respect that a lot, and uh, because it's a lot of hard work, toil, and pain, <laughs> suffering. But all right, know before you go. Um, wise words from Dr. Dean Toriyumi from Chicago, and. Please leave us your comments and questions. If you have any comments or questions, please let us know. And uh, remember, this the goal is to help you become a more educated and smart view and, and to help you find the right surgeon for you, whether it's a rhinoplasty or revision rhinoplasty. So again, Dean, thank you so much. Really enjoyed having you today.